look at Acts today. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and I'm going to assume that you've found Acts 1, verse 6 through 11. Hear the word of God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Uh, When we look at this passage, the disciples ask Jesus a question. And in order for us to fully appreciate what this question is, you can't just take it at face value. There's a lot of uh, subtext here. Um, But for us to better appreciate what's happening here in verse, uh, what is it, 6? Uh, I want to ask you these questions, and if you're not Asian, I'm sorry, (laughs) but maybe you have, you know, lots of Asian friends, but um, these questions are about Asian Americans, and, you know, you don't have to respond, but just kind of consider if you've ever heard something like this. The first one is, have you ever heard people say to you, wow, you speak English really well? you know, when they meet you, right? (laughs) Where'd you learn to speak English, right? Um, The second one is, are you Asian or are you Chinese? (laughs) I know some of you are like, what? Uh, There there are a couple, at least two of us here where we've heard that and we're like, what? Um, Another one is, where are you from? And and for those of you who are like, well, I'm from Georgia. No, they, they follow up with, No, where are you really from? (laughs) You know, how many of you guys, let's just just do this. How many of you guys, by a raise of hands, either get annoyed by questions like this or know people who get annoyed by questions like this? Okay, some of you. Oh, a lot of you, okay. All right. Um, It's a, why is it annoying, right? It's annoying because there's subtext there. It's, you're not just simply asking the issue with the question, wow, you speak in English really well. Where did you learn to speak English? The, the issue is not like, it's not about English and it's not about linguistic competency, right? It's about who you are ethnically and you know, the fact that you look a certain way should mean that you know, you don't have certain uh, contexts or certain skills or capabilities or you don't belong in a certain space or with certain people or in certain contexts, right? That you are somehow other. And no matter how long you've lived here, you experience what's called the perpetual immigrant um, experience. 
is that it's regardless of whether you are a citizen or whatever, or if you don't even know Asian languages, right, you're still considered uh, a foreigner, right? Um, you may have never visited any Asian country. Your entire life could have been in Georgia, and yet you're a perpetual foreigner, right? It's that kind of subtext that's there, and that's what really gets people going. That's what makes people annoyed. And um, the question that the disciples asked Jesus, it has some similar overtones, not in ethnicity, not in an ethnic sense, but when they said, Lord, like Jesus is, he's now resurrected, right? And he's about to ascend into heaven. And the disciples, so he's been on earth, he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been, you know, you know, with the disciples, eating with them, playing with them, you know, leading them, shepherding them. And the disciples are asking, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, of, kingdom to Israel? Now, there are two issues here, and there's a subtext here. When Jesus hears this, and if Jesus were like us, he would have gotten annoyed. But thank God he's not like us, because he's God, right? The issue is, number one, he's been teaching them that the kingdom of God is already here. And they're asking, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? What are you talking about? The kingdom is already here, right? I've been telling you this. I died for this, right? Why are you asking me, when is the kingdom of God going to be restored? It's already here. And secondly, they're saying, when is the king, uh, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to who? To Israel. You see, they're still looking for a political Messiah. They're still looking for a political like uh, state where they want to go back to the Old Testament times. They want a king like David, a political human king, right? They want the Roman government overthrown and they want this kingdom. And Jesus is, he's about to ascend. He's done his earthly ministry. He's died for this. And he's like, he's telling them the kingdom, of, my kingdom is not from this world. Right? Like, I bled and died for this. I, I, died, I resurrected for this. Right? Um, and, you know, the disciples are still thinking, wow, you know, the kingdom that we want is a political one. And Jesus is saying, how many times do I have to tell you, like, the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And yeah, it's going to be perfected physically one day. But... The kingdom is not a political kingdom, right? It's not a kingdom that belongs to Israel. It's a kingdom of God, right? It's not your kingdom. It's the Father's kingdom, right? Christ is saying, this is my kingdom, right? And Israel is saying, no, this is ours because we're Jewish. This is the Jewish kingdom, right? This is our ethnic political kingdom, and Jesus has been teaching, my kingdom is multi-ethnic, right? It's going to be filled with, with many ethnicities. It's not just about the Jews. It's not just about having a king like David and having a king like Solomon, right? The king that the father wants is himself, and he is not a man. 
He is God, right? Um, so that's the first thing, is that there's an issue of their idea of restoration. And um, the, we, we all have this in one sentence, right? Because essentially what the kingdom of God is, it is a perfect state, the kingdom of God is a perfect state of happiness, of uninterrupted, flawless, perfect happiness, right? Where there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no more injustice. Everybody wants that. You see, in one sense, we're asking Christ this question like almost every day of our lives. It's like if someone were to ask you those very annoying Asian questions to you every day, right? It's like, God, when are you going to restore our kingdom? And what Jesus replies is, it's not up to you to know when that's going to happen, right? And he replies that way because, number one, it's already happened, so stop asking me when it's going to happen. And two, when it gets perfected, that's up to God. That's not up to you. Right? But that's the way we think when it comes to the injustices that we see in our lives, in our hearts, and in the world, is we want to know when is the suffering going to pass. We want to know when is it going to stop. And when is what I want, the, the restoration that I want, when is that going to happen? Right? And what Jesus says is that's not up to us. It's not it's not for us to know that, to be in control of that. Actually, the word restore in the, in the New Testament actually means give back. Isn't that interesting? Right? That when we consider something to be an injustice, we consider the writing of that injustice, not the writing, but the R-I-G-H-T writing, right? The making right of that injustice don't we consider that something that should be given to us or given back to us because we feel it's been, something has been taken from us, right? But Jesus is saying this kingdom is not going to be restored to Israel. This kingdom belongs to the Father, right? So it should be given back to God, right? So when we think about injustice, that's kind of a, re, it's a rewiring of our brain and our heart. It's a rewiring of how we think and how we feel about the kingdom of God. That it's not something that should be done to us. It's something that should be done to God. Like it's, it's a kingdom that he needs to get back. It's his to begin with. And we broke it, right? But so many times we think of injustice as something that needs to be corrected for us, right? So that's the first thing. Now, Jesus, he goes on to say, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, right? That the Father has fixed by his own authority. In verse 8, he says, but you will receive power. Now, this is interesting. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What is that? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's God. So 
after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Spirit of God is sent and descends upon the believers. The Spirit of God begins to dwell in the believers, right? And he says, you will receive power. Power is effective, right? There's a difference between, like, when you do something religious and there is no power, there's no effect, there's no change, right? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Meaning, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is actively working in you and with you, right? Because the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's a helper, right? He's working with you to effect something, not only out in the world, but in your heart. And not only in your heart, but out in the world. There's power. Now, the mistake that we make is for those of us who are familiar with the language of the Holy Spirit, we look at it not as a relationship, but as something to be wielded, something to be used, because it's a power, right? But notice, it's not strictly power that God gives us, right? He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, meaning it's not power that he's promising directly, but he's promising a relationship. And out of that relationship, there's power. Right? The way that we think about the Holy Spirit, it's a relationship. There's something that has to happen individually within us first before something happens outside. Right? Before there's a, a powerful effect outside, there's, there has to be a a change on the inside, right? People, we need to understand who we are and we need to be understood by each other. When we, when we have that key word understanding, when that happens, right? We call that a relationship. When do you feel you have a close relationship with someone? It's when you feel understood by them. And when you can understand them, right? And you know things about them. You get them. They get you. You call that a relationship, right? Like, when you really understand God, right? And you realize that God really understands you, right? There's a liberation there. There's a freedom there that happens, right? When someone with words tells you exactly how you feel at the moment, at any given moment, you feel liberated. Why? Because you feel understood. You feel free to be yourself because now you feel connected. Someone has connected with you, your true you. And you see, that needs to happen first before there is power in your life. Without that, you're just going through the motions, right? And you can mimic it. You can mimic the effect. And you can sustain it even so that it, make, it looks like what the Holy Spirit is doing, but you know what the effects are. You know what the cost is. The cost is that the drain on you to keep up that effect is immense.
over time, you become drained as a person. But when you have that connection with the Holy Spirit, where you understand God and you know God understands you, right? And you have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. When you go about your life making a powerful impact at your workplace, in your family, with your friends, in your city, right? There is no drain, right? I mean, of course, we live in an imperfect life, so there is some drain, but it's not, it's very different. It's two very different things between someone who is running on empty, trying to keep up the effect, versus someone who is running on full, maybe with a couple drops coming out, with, a, with a, like a few drops of drain when the tank is being poured into. It's two very different people. And if you're going to say that's the same, you know, you're missing the point, right? And that's the first thing that Jesus does. And this power, what it looks like, okay, this is what it looks like when he says, you will be my witnesses. So once you have this relationship, right, with the Holy Spirit, when the kingdom of God is restored, meaning it's not about the injustices in your life that are, that are given back to you, okay, the justices that you feel were taken from you, the rights that you were taken, that you feel were taken from you are given back to you. That's not what it's talking about. It's when you were taken from God. Like, we belong to God, right? And the great injustice is we've completely taken what is his and we've said, this is mine. This is ours. That's the great injustice, when we realize that we belong to God and we understand each other, we're in a relationship with each other, there is power that comes out. The way that it looks like in life, it says, you will be my witnesses. And what that means is typically, if you grew up within church, like in the 90s or early 2000s, 80s, earlier, okay, earlier on, what this meant was you go out, you take a Bible tract that says, are you saved? And then you give it to people randomly <laughs> in front of Publix or H-Mart or Walmart, whatever, right? And then you hope for the best, right? What, this, what it means to be, you will be my witnesses today, okay? Let me show you what that means by showing you what it meant for the disciples in Acts 1. So it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now back in the day, the way this was taught was when it comes to Jerusalem, right? That's the... That's... That's where you are. That's where you're currently, right? And then you go out to the larger region around you where you live, Judea and Samaria, right? Jerusalem's a city. So, okay, so if you don't have context, Jerusalem is a city, right? The city, <laughs> right? And then the region that Jerus the city Jerusalem is in is Judea, is Judea, right? Above Judea, the region is Samaria, and, and the people living in Judea didn't like the people living in Samaria and vice versa. And the region above Samaria 
is Galilee, right? Which is also Jewish. Samaritans were kind of mixed ethnically and religiously. And that's why the pure Jews, they didn't like the Samaritans. So when, when people were trying to go from Judea to Galilee, right? So you have Galilee, Samaria, Judea, right? They would actually walk around. They would, like the shortest route from Jerusalem to someplace in Galilee is a straight shot through Samaria. But the really, you know, traditional faithful Jews, they wouldn't take that straight shot because they wouldn't be caught dead in Samaria. They would go around, right? And here's the thing. This is not merely about ethnicity. Ethnicity is part of it, right? But it's not merely about ethnicity. So when you, back, you know, back in the day when you heard the end of the earth, yes, broadly, and even today, it still means every nation on earth. And so when people think, you know, when people, when people have taught uh, or learned the end of, to the end of the earth, you will be my witnesses, people are usually talking about international missions or global missions, right? And it's true. That's there. I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is we've left out a really important part of that, and that's the historical piece. And if you know what's happening here, you can't leave that out. And it changes your look on what it means. It changes your understanding on what it means to be witnesses. Now, here's the thing. Let's look at Jerusalem. This is where they experienced not only where all the Jews were, okay, this is where they experience the most loss and pain. I'm talking about the disciples. Like Jerusalem is the religious center. This is where they're experiencing a lot of pain and loss, right? What's our religious center today for many of us? It's the workplace. The workplace, right? We find a lot of brokenness and heartache at work, right? Um, we grew up seeing a lot of brokenness, brokenness and heartache when our parents were working, right? The racism, right? The deception, the manipulation, the you know? Whatever you want to call it, right? We, there's a lot of brokenness there. Our parents came home from their immigrant jobs with a lot of stress, but then they fought hard to give us a better future economically, etc. right? We also work really hard, and many of us are really good at what we do, and yet there's brokenness there. There are things in the workplace that we are very broken by. There's a lot of loss there, right? Our religion today, you're not going to find our religion, our, our culture's religion at a temple like it was for the Jews. You're going to find it under a logo <laughs> within a corporation or within an institution under a brand. That's where you're going to find your religious center today. Now, here's the thing. What Jesus was saying to them when he says, go 
right? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It wasn't just about first be witnesses to your fellow Jews. That's there. Absolutely, that's there. But what he was talking about is go to the place where you find the most pain and the most loss and the most persecution and suffering. Go and be my witness there. <laughs> like, that changes a lot of things. You know one thing that changes? You realize you cannot keep up a show, a sham, because that's too hard of a command for God to ask us to do. That is way too hard. Our livelihood is at stake, our salary, our job security, our families, our children, my honor, <laughs> right? My parents being proud of me. This is all at stake. You cannot tell me to go to my workplace and tell, tell me to be your witness there. That's risking way too much for me to live out as a Christian in a secular workplace with a boss who doesn't care about what I believe. Right? But yet, that, the hardness of that calling causes you to depend upon the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Because without the presence of God and the Holy Spirit working through you and in you, you cannot go to Jerusalem and be a witness. You cannot. You cannot target the place of your greatest loss and persecution and suffering and be a witness. You cannot. Secondly, Judea and Samaria. For them, it was the larger ethnic context, right, for the disciples. And Samaria, again, like I said, it was a place where they avoided, right? They walked around Samaria to get to the other Jewish place, right? So the question for us today is, what are the places and spaces in our lives that we walk around to get somewhere, right? What are those places that we want to avoid? <laughs> we don't want to do life there. We don't want to meet there. We don't want to eat there. We don't want to befriend people there, right? What are those spaces, right? I heard, I heard um, a very influential uh, leader of our faith today say that, you know how in, in, in the Roman Empire they had the Pax Romana, right? And they had, they, had the, they had a road system that all led to Rome. That was all con connected, everybody, right? He said that the new road, the new Pax Romana today is the internet. It connects everyone, right? There are spaces in our online life that we will avoid, right? Now, don't misunderstand me. There are certain places we, we shouldn't be messing with, but what I'm saying is, why do people go off of Facebook? Why do people make new accounts? Why do some people have like four existing accounts? What, how, how are we walking around those difficult places to be a witness for Christ? What are those areas that we are 
circumventing to get to somewhere else. That's what he's saying, all Judea and Samaria. And thirdly, the end of the earth. Now again, broadly, when we think about this, we're thinking global international missions. Let's go to Australia, let's go to Europe, you know? And um, it's great, those things should be done, yes. And hopefully one day we can do something like that too. But historically, what is happening here? We forget by the end of Acts, which is when, when Paul is, um, is finishing, well, not finishing, but when he is, when you read the end of Acts, right, we see Paul in Rome. Isn't that interesting? He's in Rome, right? So when you look at Acts historically, they were called to be witnesses, get this, not just to people who were ethnically and ethnically different and geographically separated by bodies of water, but they were called to be witnesses to the Romans that they wanted to overthrow. And you see, we come back full picture to the first question that the disciples are asking Jesus, right? When are you going to overthrow the Romans? And <laughs> when are you going to get rid of the Romans and establish, give the kingdom back to us? Give, bring, bring the control and the authority back to us. And Jesus says to the end of the earth, by the end of Acts, Paul is in Rome for the story of Acts and the story of the early church, the end of the earth meant the people who were oppressing you, the people who had the power, the people who had the authority, right? And Jesus is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you will be my witnesses even to the people that you want to get rid of. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, if you understand, like, the historical background and, and the nuances of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and the end of the earth, you cannot do anything but, depend, but be dependent upon the Holy Spirit wherever you are whether you are in the workforce, in the marketplace, okay? Whether you are on the internet, on the, online, with your social, social media life, or whether you are dealing with, you know, institutions and systems that may have oppressed you, right? You, will, you have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to be a witness to these people. You know what this is? This is Jonah going to Nineveh. Like, Nineveh was at the center of Assyria, right? Assyria was the superpower that was oppressing the Jews. The Jews hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites hated the Jews. And God sends Jonah to give the gospel to the Ninevites. And he says, no way, I'm not doing this. There's no way I'm doing this. Because if I do, if I preach judgment to them, then they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. And there is no way I will drop dead before I let that happen. I want to see the Ninevites die, right? 
And well, what happened? He got swallowed by a fish, right? That's what happens when you disobey God. You become seafood. No one laughed. Someone, someone exhaled. Okay, that's okay. But yeah, that's what happened. And the whole point is, is that God sent Jonah to be an evangelist to the people that he hated and that he was hated by. Like that's, that's, that's what it means to be a witness, guys. It's not about randomly going out and then just, you know, handing out a tract and saying, I did my Christian duty. Like this, you cannot do this unless your heart has been gripped by the grace of God. You cannot do this unless your life is filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no way. There's no way. And so, you know, bringing this to full circle, you know, all, even the brokenness that's there as Asian Americans, like when you get annoyed and you meet someone who says something racist or ignorant to you, right? Don't let your first answer be an expellative that basically says, you know, get out of my life, right? Like, you know what that is? That racist, ignorant moment you just experienced online or on the street, in the car, or wherever, you know what that is? That's your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. That's your opportunity. You know, for every brokenness, every broken place with its injustice is, a, is opportunity. It's opportunity. And we have to ask God to give us the eyes to see it as an opportunity, the heart to feel love for the person and to befriend them, right? And to depend upon the Holy Spirit to give us the right words to say. (laughs) You cannot do this. You cannot. The Holy Spirit living in you, the gospel that you have been given, the kingdom of God that is in the midst of us cannot expand without this. This is it. This is gospel witnessing, right? I just want to leave that with you. Um, I'd love to talk about it with you. An extension of this, I've been thinking a lot about poverty. I've been thinking a lot about friendship. Um, And I want to share some of that in our next Forge Fellowship. But that is a application of this. (laughs) And I really... I really hope that you guys can pray about this throughout the week. Think about your workplace. Think about your online life, right? Your virtual life. And think about the people that you feel like have wronged you, the the systems and the institutions that have oppressed you. And think about how Christ wants you to go there, be a faithful presence, so that he can use your faithful presence to redeem the brokenness there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us in a way that we don't deserve. Father, um, 
help us to ask the right question. Lord, help us to ask how we can be a faithful presence as you are restoring your kingdom to yourself. How can we be a faithful presence in our workplace so that you can restore your kingdom to yourself? How can we be a faithful presence online? How can we, Lord, be a faithful presence in the institutions and in the systems that have oppressed us so that you can reconcile the world to yourself? Lord, help us to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, for without him, there's no way we're going to go to these spaces in our lives and be a faithful presence. So Lord, be faithful to us. As you have been faithful to us, Lord, help us to be faithful in the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.